Welcome to Grace This Weekend. Is that not the most epic trailer ever? <laughs> I feel like I'm in Mission Impossible. It's amazing. Love it. Well, thanks for being here with us this weekend. Uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Joe, two of our leaders here at Grace, of course, are out, and they're uh, training Brazilian pastors, and uh, we can be praying for them. So they're out in Brazil with a bunch of pastors and uh, actually helping to lead a conference there, so make sure to keep them in mind. And that's kind of where they are this weekend. I'm excited to lead us into the next conversation in this series, Choose Your Own Adventure, is uh, what we started off last weekend. Pastor Jeff kicked us off. And what we've been saying is we want to look at our choices, our decisions. And if you remember this uh, book series, Choose Your Own Adventure, the idea was you kind of read through a book and you'd come into a, a, a fork in the road in the book. It's kind of built in and then you could make a decision. And it would shape the adventure that your book would take, kind of shape the story. And we said, that's a lot how life is, right? There's a reality that we're going to face forks in the road and we're going to make decisions and the decisions that we make are going to shape kind of the adventure that we go on. And we wanted to look at that connection between the decision I make and the adventure I take and kind of see how those things play out. We love that, that God gives us choice and we have the freedom to do that. So last weekend, we started off talking about money. And if you missed that conversation, I would encourage you to catch up online, graceohio.org, or you can download the app, Grace Ohio, again, and catch that message and any of our messages for free online. Find that extremely helpful. What we're going to do today is we're going to dive into a conversation about conviction, about conviction, what we believe in and kind of how firmly we hold on to those beliefs. And it's, it's kind of a big conversation. We define conviction this way. I picked this up from kind of the dictionary. Conviction is this a firmly held belief or opinion. I'll put it up here on the screen for you if you want to jot it down. Conviction, a firmly held belief or opinion. So that would have an entire range, right, in our lives. There's a reality that uh, the small everyday things in life, we have opinions about those things. We would have pretty strong opinions about some of those, right? So if I said, what's your favorite coffee? Some of you would have a strong opinion that Starbucks is my favorite coffee. I said, well, how many of you would say that Dunkin' Donuts is your favorite? You'd be like, Dunkin' Donuts is the best ever, right? And we could start a riot right here in this room over that. You know, if I said, who's the best basketball player ever, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Riot, right? Like, that could actually happen because we so strongly are going to hold on to these opinions in our lives. And we said, of course, the everyday ones are easy. When it goes to our faith and our deeply held convictions, Boy, that stuff really starts to matter if I'm going to hold on to that. And what do I do when someone has an opposing opinion about my conviction? Because here's the reality. Whenever I pick a stance, someone's going to disagree with me. It's inevitable. That when I land and kind of say, I'm going to put a stake in the ground right here. This is where my faith is going to land. There will inevitably be people that disagree with my decisions and my convictions we say, what do we do when that happens? How do I respond to that? And how am I supposed to let that play out? So I'll say this, if you're a Christ follower, uh, this is gonna make a lot of sense. We're gonna talk a lot about having conviction in our faith in God. If you're not a Christ follower, you may be investigating the things of God and saying, I'm not sure what I believe in yet or maybe have a different set of beliefs. Here's what I would encourage you to kind of view this conversation through this set of lenses. We're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said in a minute here, and it's going to frame out kind of our whole conversation. And if you don't yet follow Jesus or you're not sure if you want to do that, I want us to be able to see directly from what Jesus said, right? He kind of describes how 
Christ's followers are to engage and embrace their convictions, and especially when they're opposed. I want you to know directly from Jesus how this should look, because it doesn't always play out that way in the lives of us who follow Jesus. So I want to see that directly from what Christ said. And let's take a look at that. We're going to be in John chapter 17. You can turn over there just for a, a few minutes as we kind of frame out our conversation with Jesus's words and uh, open your Bibles to John 17. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab them from underneath the chairs there. And uh, you can also just grab your phone, open that up, download the app or open the app and look there to uh, John 17. And what's happening here as you're turning there, I'll explain what's playing out. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to go sacrifice his life. And this is one of his last prayers he's going to pray. His disciples are with him. Okay, so they're kind of watching him pray this. And he's praying, of course, to God the Father. And he wants his disciples to know some things that are pretty important. And let's look at this. John 17, 13. We'll grab these words, kind of help us frame our conversation today. Jesus prays this. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's praying for his disciples. And he realizes that his disciples, when they hold on to their faith, it's inevitable that there's going to be people that oppose that faith. And he would talk about, he would use the word, the world. And we hear that word, don't, don't think geography, don't think the planet, don't think planet earth. He's not using it in that context. Sometimes in the Bible it would show up that way. What Jesus means by the world is kind of the culture and the things that the culture would elevate or celebrate with people who are opposed to God. When, when they lock in and create a culture, it's going to elevate a certain set of values and it's going to create a certain system that we all kind of live in. And Jesus is going to pray that his disciples, his followers, don't veer off into a couple different temptations that anyone who has conviction could fall into. Let me show you what I mean, kind of explain how this plays out. So if I'm a person who has conviction, let's say that I have a conviction that Jesus is God and I want to follow him, I have a handful of different paths that I can take when that conviction comes under fire. Right, a couple different paths that would play out. One path that I might take is this. I might look at the pressure that's created by the world around me and I might conform to that pressure. When everyone else is saying, don't follow Jesus or don't live the way that Jesus describes, I might feel that pressure and conform to it. Jesus would say it this way, right, that, that I don't want them to be of the world. That phrase of the world means to be like the world, to conform into its image, to be pressed into its mold, we might say, right? So I might, if I'm a Christ follower, I would feel an incredible amount of pressure to conform to the things of the world, right? So here's me over here. This is cheesy, but you might remember it. Here we go. Ready? I might look and say, well, here's what the world is like. 
right? The world's in blue. That's <laughs> fantastic, right? So here's me. I'm in red. I'm going to pretend I'm not in red. I'm going to pretend I'm in blue. I'm just like everybody else, okay? So I have this conviction. I follow Jesus, but then when it comes down to it, I'm going to allow the world to define everything about me, all right? The, the way I think, the way I talk, the way I look, the way I act, the way I prioritize. If you kind of ran my life up against the life of the world in general, maybe it looks exactly the same except I go to church sometimes. That's a, that's a temptation that Jesus would say, I don't want them to be like this, Father. I pray that they're not of the world. Right? That's one way we go. Now, we could go the opposite way too. When, when I'm in conviction, when I am trying to hold on to that, one way goes to conform. The other way I could go is to run to control. To run to control. Here's what I mean by control. So whenever I feel my conviction is being threatened, I feel like people are against me. There's a temptation to want to do something with that, to push away and to move away from that pressure. So I might, if I'm a person of conviction, say, you know what? I, I don't know what to do with all this pressure from the world, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to control it. And control can show up a bunch of different ways. I want to separate or put some distance between me and the world. That might mean I, I want to go run away from the world because right, this is what Jesus said. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. I don't want you to separate from it. I, I might run away and say, oh, I, I don't want to be involved in anything the world is involved with. I'm gonna go live in the woods somewhere and disconnect from being a part of the world system. It might mean I wanna control my culture by legislating it. I wanna fight back and win the culture and I want the rights and, and the kind of the the norm of the day to be my convictions and I want to fight against it by controlling it. I might attack the world and try to put distance in between me and the world in that way. So I see the two extremes. One is I cave under the pressure. The other is as I get defensive and I might run away and control through that and say I want to keep my distance or I might fight back and attack the world and and try to create my own subculture over here with a bunch of people who are red, Either of these options, Jesus is praying against. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, right? My prayer is not that they become of the world. I want something different, Jesus would pray. I want them to be in the world, but not of it. I want them to be people of conviction, I want them to be people of conviction. So here's what this might look like. I want you, Jesus might say, to follow me and to be distinct. I want you to look like, think like, talk like, act like me. And I want you to do that not in isolation, not separated from the world. I want you to do it in the midst of the world, right? I want you to live in the culture know people in the culture, interact with it, live among it, but I want you to be different. You're always going to feel that pressure, the reality that people don't agree with you, and and I'm sending you into that environment on purpose. Don't crumble, don't run away, stand in your conviction in the midst of it, okay? Now, there's our framework for how we're gonna approach this. If I'm a person of conviction, I have a couple different, we could say, adventures that I could 
create or choose. I want to show us a story, a fascinating story, from Daniel chapter 3 of three young men that would stand right in this spot, and I want us to see how they interacted with this decision. Amazing story. We're going to look at it. Daniel chapter 3. Go ahead and you can turn there in your Bibles. It's page 615 in the Bibles under your chairs if you're using those. And as you're turning there, let me help kind of create the context because this is a pretty amazing thing that's happened in the book of Daniel. So in the book of Daniel, what's taken place is the Jewish people, they would have lived as a nation in a land that God had given them. They had been disobedient to God and another nation, Babylon, had come and basically invaded their land. They would have killed some of the Jews, the Israelites. They would have put some into slavery and they would have grabbed some and put them into service within their own kingdom. And so imagine they basically picked up a group of people, took them out of their land and took them back home to their home country, this empire that was building in Babylon. There's four men in the story of Daniel that we run into, Daniel and then his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men were extremely convicted to follow God and to follow him alone. And they find themselves, specifically three of them, find themselves in a situation where that conviction is being put to the test. Let's track with the story, chapter three, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. The thing is huge. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, Judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold. The king Nebuchadnezzar is set up, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let me pause this here because here's something that if you're reading through the book of Daniel and you read chapters one and two, here's what you would be feeling as you read through Daniel chapter 3, because this is what the author intended. They're going to repeat all these different government officials and list them individually. And they want you to experience and know that people that matter from all nations all over the world are all doing this thing. Everybody is doing this. And what they want us to experience is, right, the writer wants us to know that the pressure is building for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because we, we know that these men would never bow down to this golden image. It would be in direct opposition to the conviction that they hold, that there's only one God and I'm to worship him alone. So as I'm reading so far, when, when I look at all of these officials, and it's repeated over and over and over, and all the different instruments and the symphony that's playing out, when I hear that, what I'm feeling is the pressure builds. 
that everyone's doing this and it's all in unison, it's all under King Nebuchadnezzar's leadership and if I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm feeling this pressure mount on me like crazy and I'm gonna have to figure out what to do with it. Let's pick it up in verse eight. At this time, some astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has decreed uh, issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all the worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They, serve your, uh, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in service to him. They actually work for him. So, so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Here's King Nebuchadnezzar is furious. People that work for him are not following this command. People have noticed. They brought it up to him. And now here's what we find put this in your notes here, with conviction comes opposition. With conviction comes opposition. So these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have said, we are not going to bow down. And like we said, it's inevitable. Whenever I make a stand like that, opposition will come. And we joke and we know that that's true in the small things of life. Right, that when we're talking about our favorite sports team, our favorite food, we're all going to have real strong opinions and we'll joke around and oppose that. But what happens when my convictions have to do with my faith and my lifestyle because of my faith? So let me give you some examples. Right, So we could look, and I may have the conviction that, that before marriage, I, I don't want to sleep with my girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't want to live with them. Will that conviction bring opposition into my life? Well, sure it will. Of course it will. Right? People are going to look and say, well, don't you know you've got you to test run that relationship? You've got to know and try it out and see if it's going to work. People are going to, are you crazy? Who does that? Opposition is going to come to that conviction. If I look at my family or maybe I'm a boyfriend, girlfriend, and say, you know, we're going we're to prioritize being at church, like we want to make coming to church a big priority in our lives. That conviction is going to have competition and opposition, right? Because guess what? As soon as we make that conviction, there's going to be sports team schedules, and now the kids' games are Saturday or Sunday, and we can't make it, and now my boss wants me to work, and how do I uphold that conviction? I might look at work and say, you know, I want to be above board. I have the conviction that I want to have integrity. I want to be a person, right, that really does what he says he's going to do, and I want to be honest and be above board. But now my boss or my coworkers, they're, they're saying the only way you're going to make money in this thing is if you bend it and break it. 
right? If you cut a corner, if you lie on an expense report, if you juice the numbers, opposition is going to come into my life if I'm going to be a person of conviction, right? When everybody's cheating on the test, when, when everybody's saying, don't you know people, people get divorced and remarried all the time. Who cares? No big deal. Just leave them, right? It's fun. Have, you deserve better. Opposition is going to come to me if I have conviction. And this is where these, these young men are, right? They're standing their ground in a place where their culture is moving away farther and farther from the convictions that they hold. King Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He's come to them. He's thrown down the gauntlet and said, what are you going to do? How do you respond to this? They're standing at the crossroads trying to decide ultimately what path am I going to take? Let's see what they say. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Shadrach dropped the mic. He's out, right? Like he, he laid down the response and said, we, we're not going to move. We're not going to move. But I want us to see specifically the way that he did that. I want us to see the way he did that. That they landed this decision to be immovable, to land and say, I'm going to stay in my conviction, but they did in a specific way. Here's what they recognized. They recognized, I put this on the screen, it's possible to respect someone and disagree with them at the same time. It's possible to respect someone and disagree with them at the same time. They are in clear disagreement with Nebuchadnezzar. They have no interest in doing what he's saying, but watch what they do. They call him King Nebuchadnezzar. They call him your majesty two times. Right? They, they could have interacted with this thing a hundred different ways. And they, sh- they chose to show respect. Do you know that the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're actually names given to them. They changed their names when they were exiled. And these men were given names connected to foreign gods. They endured that. They put up with that. And they showed respect to King Nebuchadnezzar, calling him your majesty. Now, they could have looked at that pressure and they could have caved in and bowed down and said, you know what, we're right, we're, you're, you're right, we're sorry, we, we cave in, we're gonna bow down and worship this image that you have put out. They could have ran to control. They could have went the other route and said, you know what, we're gonna gather up all our Jewish friends and we're gonna make war with you. We're gonna fight for our culture. We're gonna run away to the hills and try to escape. And they did neither of these things. They simply stood in the midst of their world, and they stood their ground, held on to their conviction, but they did so with gentleness and with respect. It's possible to disagree with someone and respect them at the same time. Let me just say this. This is going to become more and more important for me if I'm a person of conviction. If you're a person of conviction, specifically the conviction 
of Jesus being Lord and the lifestyle that that will ensue, we are going to continue to feel more and more that our world is going to move away from that conviction. Right? It's going to be more and more common to, to hear that there's a disagreement between how I would view marriage and how other people would view marriage. How I would define gender and how other people would define gender. And on and on and on and it's going to go. And I've got to make a decision. How, how am I going to respond to that? Am I going to cave into that pressure and change my conviction? Will, will I run away? To, will I try to fight back and legislate it? How, how will I interact with that? Am I going to move to Canada and try to get out? And Am I going to say, you know what, this, this world is it's too hard to raise kids here. I, I don't even know how I'm going to live in this. I want to control my world. Or will I simply, one-on-one, one relationship at a time, show respect and disagree and work it through being a person of conviction? This is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves, and they were faithful and held to the conviction that was before them. Watch what happens next. Verse 19 King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now, let's talk about furnaces for a second, because I I like to burn wood. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this about me. I have a wood-burning stove in my house. We like to heat our house with wood. You could call it a furnace, you know, if you wanted to. It's it's like a little furnace, and I I can only imagine, you know, when, when when I put a piece of wood in there in the winter and that thing is humming and I'm like trying not to singe my eyebrows. That thing is so hot. Can you imagine what these men must have been going through? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tied up tight from the strongest men in the entire empire and they are making the death march into this furnace. Imagine what must have been going through their minds. Thinking, I, I did nothing wrong. All I did was choose to be faithful to God. I didn't kill anybody, I didn't attack anybody. I just wouldn't bow down to this foreign God. I simply held my ground and now I'm about to face my death. God, will you save me? What, what will happen next? And they're tossed into this furnace and they look back and the men, the soldiers that push them in are incinerated See what happens. A miraculous response shows up. Look at what happens in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement, asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then 
approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. See, God had intervened in the situation. Who is the fourth person? We don't know. Was it Jesus himself showing up? Was it an angel? doesn't really matter. What matters is God inserted himself into the situation. He protected these men. Listen, nothing happened. Look what it says. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. These men were supernaturally protected. They cling to their convictions, and amazing things happen. Let's hear the rest of the story. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Listen to this. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. If you're a political person, this is called a flip-flop, right? This is what happened. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Amazing things took place in the lives of these young men. Here's what we can say. If we honor God with our convictions, he will honor us the consequences. If we honor God with our convictions, he will honor us through the consequences. We're going to have a guarantee that God will show up in some way. Now let me say this. That does not mean that we are never in harm's way. In this scenario, it played out beautifully. They weren't harmed. They got a promotion. It all worked out. Sometimes God honoring us through the, the consequences looks like giving our lives, losing our jobs. Sometimes God honoring us happens through persecution or being ostracized. These men, if the story would have played out differently, they would have been martyrs. Just remember that that's one of the highest honors there are in our faith is to give our life for the very thing we believe, for our conviction. God will honor himself and his people when we hold to our conviction or hold to our faith. I remember watching this play out. I was in uh, college. It was pretty quickly after I came to know the Lord and I was uh, discipling a young guy and uh, we were meeting on a regular basis talking about his faith, kind of where he was in life. It was awesome. It was kind of watching him grow. I was being encouraged by it. I remember one day he came to me. We were sitting down and he said, I got, I got to tell you something, man. He's like, you know I work at this restaurant. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, I, I've been stealing food from this restaurant, like, for a while. I was like, oh, well, I'm glad you told me that. Have you stopped doing that? He's like, yes. I was like, good. <laughs> That's a good thing. I was like, Step one, right? And he, he goes, I, I just felt like I needed to tell you that, and I stopped, and should be good. We kept talking about it. I said, brother, Let's keep looking at this. I think you probably need to like go back and tell your boss. You've, it sounds like you've been doing this for a while. You've been stealing food, right, for a long time. And he looked at me like, 
you are out of your mind. Like, why would I ever go tell my boss that I'm stealing from him? And, and we kept talking about it. I said, brother, you, you got to pray about this. I'm pretty sure that Jesus is going to lead you to that conclusion that, that you need to go back. You've got to make this thing right. You know, all of you are like, note to self, never ask Ryan to disciple me. Right? <laughs> but like we, we talked about that. It took him a few weeks. He processed it, and he found the courage to do it, okay? So he goes into his boss, lays it out there, told him everything. His boss was blown away. You know, at first he's a little shocked, like, oh, you're stealing from me? Okay, there's that. And then he rounded it out. He said, I got to write this thing up because you're telling me basically that you've done this thing. I got to make it official. But their relationship grew, and the people at the restaurant found out about that story and that man's faith was elevated and people looked at him and said, who does that? Who puts their reputation out there, their job on the line, all because of what? Because of conviction. Who does that? Right? And that's exactly what happened in, in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They put themselves out there and said, we will not bow down. We're not going to fight, right? We're not going to separate ourselves. We're, we're not going to bow down. We're going to just stand right here. And we're not going to move. And God used that, the conviction to stay right where we are. I'm going to lock into my faith and hold on to it. And now, all of those people that were bowing down, the king who ruled and was commanding and was threatening, is now the very king and the very group of people that are fixating their attention on the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The tables turned. God was honored through it. It's powerful. And, and God has an adventure like this in our lives. It may not involve us risking our lives or losing our jobs, but in some way holding to our convictions is going to create a decision for us. Why? Because with conviction comes opposition. Here's what I would submit to you. If I'm going to look and ask the question, what do I do when opposition hits me, if I'm a person of conviction, should I go down this road, should I go down this road, should I stay true, I would submit to you that the road of conformity and the road of control both lead to irrelevance. They both lead to irrelevance. Let me show you what I mean. If I'm somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus, right, which we all know means more than just coming to church. We all know that, right? Well, being a follower of Jesus is saying, I want to follow a person, not just get out of hell. I, I want to live for God because he lived and died for me. If I want to say, I, I'm following Jesus, but then my life looks an awful lot like everybody else who doesn't follow Jesus, at the end of the day, I don't really have anything to offer anybody who doesn't follow Jesus because I'm living the exact same lifestyle they are. It's a, it's a place of irrelevance, isn't it? If I'm bowing down, right, and I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, boy, and I'm cutting the corners, and I'm, right, I, I value Pokemon over Jesus. Pokemon's fine. He just never can make the highest priority in my life. Right? If I'm bowing down, 
and I look like everybody else, what do I really have to offer? I don't. I have nothing to offer. I, it's, it's an irrelevant path. If I run down the road of control and I'm separating myself from the world, running and hiding, trying to create a subculture, I'm fighting against it and attacking it, I can have no relationship with the very people that Jesus sent me to reach. See, this is what Jesus did. He didn't run down any of these roads. He stood in the midst of people that he came to love and came to serve. I I want us to think about it. Do you think it was easy for Jesus to be here? I think it was easy for Jesus to come out of heaven, put skin on, and live among a bunch of people that kind of could care less about his God. Oh, I bet it ripped him to shreds. I bet it broke his heart. Because the very people that he created who was meant to know God were separating, rebelling against God. It had to rip him up just to be in the midst of sin all the time. But he did it. He stood among people of his day and he loved and he had mercy and he had conviction. This path leads to irrelevance. This path leads to irrelevance. The only path of impact is one of conviction. If I want to make an impact in my world in the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, I've got to be different, and I've got to be present, and I've got to just stand there saying, no matter where my culture moves, I'm not going anywhere. Oh, I, I believe it. I believe that Jesus is God. And that's going to show up in a zillion ways that I live. Right, so the question is, what do we do with this? Right, how do we navigate the adventure? I think I have to look at, right, look at the whiteboard and ask the question, where do I find myself maybe today on the whiteboard? I, I might look and say, Ryan, you've got to back up a couple steps. I'm here today, and I don't even know if I want to follow Jesus. Fair. Fair. Here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're not sure if you believe in God or you want to follow Jesus, you're sure about this church thing, here's what I would encourage you. Would you make a serious investigation in what you want to believe in? Would you elevate that priority? I remember wrestling with this as a young adult. When I came to know Jesus, I had no church background at all. Didn't know what I believed, not really. Didn't think I believed in God. And I, I remember having to wrestle through what kind of man am I gonna be? What, will I be one of conviction? I wanna believe in something. I wanna give my life to something. And if you're in that place, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I don't know. Let me just say this, personal kind of my personal story, what I have found is that no one is worth living my life for other than Jesus Christ. He's the only one who gave his life, died for me, even when I was rebelling against him. He's God and I'm all in for him. And I would encourage you, would you investigate that option? You may not land there right away, but would you take a serious look in becoming someone of serious conviction in Jesus. And then some of us are going to look at this path and say, if I was honest, 
I have bowed down to the image. I, I had some convictions. They were strong, but the pressure hit. And, and now I'm doing things that I never thought I would do. I'm cutting corners and I'm in immorality and I'm making decisions that I know are dishonoring to God, and, but the pressure was so great and I bowed down to it. What do I do now? Fair question. If I'm in a place where I've conformed, I gotta do what my buddy did. Right? I, I gotta throw a flag and say, I need to make this right. Help me make it right. And maybe that's reaching out to a life group leader or reaching out to staff and saying, here's this thing in my life, I need to act on it. Why? Because I want to be a person of conviction. I want to get off my knees and stand up again. Right? I want to follow God and be faithful to him. If that's where I am, I make those decisions. If I'm in a place of control, I need to own the fact that I have not been called to be removed from the world. Did you hear that verse that, that we just read? Jesus sent me into this world. And it's okay that most of it can be opposed to God. I am there to bring hope and value to a world that is hurting. John says this, would you let perfect love cast out fear? And while I make a decision to re-engage relationships and be less frustrated about the destiny of my nation, more heartbroken about the state of my world, will I move out of control and move into conviction? And finally, I, I want to recognize that there's a bunch of us in the room that have stood before the furnace. We have been faithful You've felt opposition and people have attacked for your faith or made fun of and, and you're trying to hold on and asking the question, I don't know, can I stand up under the pressure? If, if you're holding on to conviction, let me just say this, don't let go. Don't let go. It is worth it and Jesus sees that and he will honor you. Don't quit. You're in the right place, even if you feel like the only one on the planet. Do I need to find conviction? Do I need to leave conformity? Do I need to leave control? Do I need to strengthen my grip here, holding on to the convictions that Jesus has inserted into me? What adventure am I going to choose? Here's our question. Would you wrestle with that? Would you struggle with that? As we're worshiping, singing, and praying, if God brings something to your mind, would you hear that as the voice of God? Because right? he wants us to be people making things right, standing for conviction. Have the band come out and pray for us. We worship and sing. Let's wrestle with these things. Father, we say thank you. Lord, thank you again that you help us to navigate. These are treacherous waters, God, trying to figure out how to own our faith but not be a jerk, to own our faith and not cave in. I pray that you would meet us where we are. Give us courage and a backbone 
to be people of conviction. Help us to live like you did, have a passion for your world, to not be like it, but to reach it for your name and for your glory. Lord, we need you so bad in this. We love you and we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.